today we are going to continue a series that we began together last Sunday entitled God's Not Dead. And uh, the idea behind this whole series is simply this. If you're going to have a living faith, then you're going to have to make sure you're serving a living God. And we began to talk about what does that really look like and how do we kind of walk out a living faith when we connect ourselves to a living God who is alive and well and at work. Amen. How many know God's at work in the world around us today? In spite of all the evil and in spite of all the pain and the heartache and the heartbreak, there is a good God, a loving God, who is at work in the world. And we're going to kind of talk about how that kind of comes to pass uh, in our lives. Genesis chapter 16 is the story of Hagar. Hagar was Abraham and Sarah's servant. She was Sarah's handmaid. Uh, she ends up getting pregnant by Abraham uh, under Sarah's direction. And so all of a sudden now Sarah begins to uh, mistreat her. She becomes harsh with her. And so Hagar flees running kind of for her life. And we kind of jump into the story here in Genesis 16. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road of Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And this son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fists against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have, have I truly seen the one who sees me? If you look at that first point on your outline, we said that uh, the thing that I love about this scripture here in Genesis is that we get this awesome picture of a living God. We get a picture of a God who sees, right? Hagar calls the name of the place, the Lord our God sees. And she doesn't just say he sees, she said he sees me, right? And last week we talked about that. We talked about how awesome it is to think about the fact that the God of heaven and earth actually sees you. He doesn't just see what you do. He doesn't just see your right and your wrong actions or decisions. He actually sees you. Jesus went so far as to say that not even one sparrow falls from the ground without our Heavenly Father noticing it. And then he says this, and how much more valuable are you than many sparrows, right? God loves you. God's eye is upon you. You are not invisible to God. You are not oblivious to God. God is very much in tune and attentive to your life. God sees you right where you are. And God only sees, but in this story we also find out that, that God hears. He said, I have heard your cry, and he actually told her to name her son Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears our cry, right? God hears our prayers. God hears the petitions that we pray and even the innermost recesses of our heart. God is alive. He sees us. He hears us. And then last but not least, God speaks, right? God sees our need. God hears our cry. And then God speaks in response to what's going on in us. And we talked about that last week. We talked about the fact that when you offer God a prayer, God gives you an instruction, right? You offer God a prayer and God gives you an instruction. You ask God to help you get out of debt and God tells you what you financially need to do to begin to get out of debt. 
You ask God to mend a broken relationship and God tells you how to begin to mend that broken relationship. You ask God to give you, uh, to give you favor on your job and God tells you how to obtain favor on your job. Have y'all noticed that when you pray, God usually doesn't deliver what you ask for on a silver platter. God actually gives you instructions that enable you to obtain the thing that you have asked and requested of him. Now, sometimes God just supernaturally, bam, right? Every now and then you get a check in the mail you weren't expecting, and everybody rejoices over that, and you're like, praise God, right? But I mean, you know, that's not the norm. The norm is when you pray for financial breakthrough, you pray for God to give you money, you pray for God to meet a need, God will speak to you, and out of your prayer and petition, God will give you an instruction that will lead you into the thing that you're asking him to do in your life. And the reason that is important is what we're going to talk about in just a minute. But let's kind of finish this statement. So we said that God sees, God hears, and God speaks. He is alive, and He is at work in the lives of those who are open to Him. And that last phrase, open to Him, is key, right? We said you're not open unless you're obedient. You're not open unless you're obedient. You're not open for God to work unless you're willing to be obedient to what God is saying into your life. And we just think about, if you're here today and you have children or grandchildren, uh, sometimes you'll tell your kids to do something, right? And you understand they're not open to do it unless they're obedient to it. They're not open to your counsel unless they're willing to obey what you have instructed them to do. And so we understand that God is actively involved in the lives of people that are open to him. Why is our world in such a mess? Why is there such chaos, confusion, death, and pain? It is because people have hardened their hearts against God. And have therefore, as we're going to read in just a minute, as we talked about last week, therefore limited God's ability to work in their lives. They haven't limited who God is. They have just limited God's ability to work in their lives. Look at that next point on your outline. We said that it's your response, it's my response that determines God's involvement, right? God is not going to be actively involved in a life that is resistant to him. Your response to his instruction, right? God sees your need, God hears your cry, and then God speaks. And when you respond to what God says, that determines whether or not God is able to be actively involved in your life. Your response to what God says determines whether or not he is invited in. Now let me just ask you a question. Have you, ever, have you ever given instruction to somebody? Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a child, but maybe it was a coworker. But, but maybe you were talking with somebody and they asked for advice and you shared with them and you knew without a shadow of a doubt that if they would do what you told them to do, it would work out well for them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given instruction to somebody? And, and maybe it's your age, right? Maybe it's your experience, maybe it's your wisdom, but you done went, you've done walked through what they're walking through. You've done did what they're doing, and you know, right? You've done come out on the other side, and you're talking to this person, and you know that if they will listen to you, if they will just do what you're telling them to do, the thing that they really desire will actually happen. Yes. It'll work out for their good. And then have you ever done that and then stepped back and watched that person do exactly the opposite yes. of what you told them to do? Exactly the opposite. And you know what happens? Your heart breaks. Your heart breaks. 
Your heart doesn't break because you're mad they didn't follow your instructions. Your heart breaks because you're gonna, you see the pain and the heartache that is about to come their way. Because you've already been where they're at. You've already walked that path. And you already know what the right decision to make is. And you've told them the right decision. And you've told them the right choice. And you've given them godly, biblical instruction. And you know without a shadow of a doubt if they will just do what you've told them to do, it will work for their good. But then many times they reject it and it breaks your heart. That's how God feels. That's how God feels. How many times has God spoken to us, right? We talked about it last week. Even before you were saved, even before you came to know the Lord. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've already experienced this in your life. You've had those moments in your life. You were about to do something. That little voice on the inside of you said, don't do that. You were about to go with somebody and that little voice says, don't go with them. You were about to say something and that little voice says, don't say that. Right? We've all experienced it. The voice of God. We may not have recognized it as the voice of God. We might have thought it was our conscience. It might have sometimes, you know, when you're a teenager, it sounds like mama's voice or daddy's voice, you know, in your head. When you get married, it sounds like the voice of your spouse, right? And anyway, you got all these little voices, but you know, right? You know, if you would have just done what that voice said to do, you would not have suffered the things you suffered. You would not have ended up going down the path you ended up. And we all also know that sometimes that one decision creates a chain reaction. Right? That one decision creates a chain reaction. And in one day, one day of wrong decision making can create a year or three years or sometimes a lifetime of working out of something that I should have never found myself in if I would have just listened and responded to that voice of God. And so God speaks. God sees our need. God hears our cry, and then God speaks, but it is our response. The reason things aren't working out better, the reason there are still challenges in our world is because God sees, God hears, and God speaks, but we have to respond. And we said that faith is always, right? Faith is always the right response. It's always the right response because without faith, God's work is limited in our lives. We read these two scriptures last week. I want to read them again. Psalm 78, 41, speaking of the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness from the place of bondage to the place of promise. And the Bible says, yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Hebrews 3.19 says, so we see, speaking again of the children of Israel, same circumstance while they're in the wilderness. We see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Right? They limited God. How did they limit God? They didn't change who God was. They just limited God's involvement in their life. God wanted to do more than he was allowed to do. God wanted to show up in a bigger way than he was allowed to show up. I heard a guy tell a story one time. He said that he had this dream, and he said in his dream he died and he went to heaven. And when he was in heaven, he said the Lord took him to this room. He said he opened the door, and it was a big old warehouse about like this building right here. And it was just stacked full of boxes with his name on it. And he said, I looked at all them boxes with my name on it. And he's like, Lord, what are all these things? And he said, here are all the things that I wanted to do in your life while you were on earth that were left undone. Because when I spoke, instead of responding by faith and obedience, you turned a hardened heart. Instead of returning and submitting, you ran and rebelled and did your own thing. And these are all the things I wanted to do in your life, but I couldn't do. If you're a parent, you understand what that's like. You understand what it's like to want to bless your kids, but because of the choices and the decisions they're making, you have to withhold blessings. Because you know if you give them more money, that more money is going to drive them deeper into the problem they're in instead of bring them out of that problem. 
God in heaven loves us so much. And he desires so many good things for our lives that he is desiring today by the voice of God. He sees, he hears, and he speaks. And he is looking for a faith-based response. God, we're going to respond by faith. We're going to respond with an obedient spirit. We're going to submit and obey to what you have called us to do, Lord, in the little things, in the big things. Because every time I obey and respond by faith, I invite God in. And I said this last week, I realize more and more every day that there is not one area of my life that I don't need God. (laughs) And every now and then when a little pride gets in and I feel like I'm doing really good, you know, you get a little cocky, you ever got a little cocky, you know, you're like, man, I got this. (laughs) Just as soon as you say that, you realize you don't got it. (laughs) Something happens outside of your control and what you thought you had, you don't have anymore. What you thought you were controlling, you're not controlling anymore. Why? Because the moment we move into a place of pride and arrogance, we move out of a place of faith and obedience, and the hand of God, instead of being invited into our lives, it is pushed back. And many people, too many Christians even, are holding God at arm's length. And I just want to encourage you today. I believe the heart of God today is that we would open our hearts to Him, that with open hearts, hearts of faith and obedience, we would invite God in and let Him show Himself strong. Amen? In our lives. Now let's look at that next point. I want you to see something. This next statement is huge. Faith doesn't guarantee that you will get what you want. But faith guarantees that what God says will come to pass. Faith doesn't guarantee that you'll get what you want. There's this distorted idea somehow that if I live by faith and if I walk by faith and I pray in faith and I'm a man of faith, then I'm going to get what I want. God's going to do what I want God to do because I'm in faith. Understand this. God is not, faith does not guarantee you that God's going to do what you want. Faith guarantees you that God will do what he says. It's not your wants that move God, it is God's word that moves God. When God speaks a promise over your life, when God speaks a promise through Scripture, the Bible says God watches over His Word to perform it. God is obligated by His Word because He is not a man that He should lie. And so we begin to understand faith does not guarantee that we get what we want. Faith guarantees that what God says He will bring to pass. He will bring to pass. And if you don't settle that, this is huge. If you don't settle that in your heart, you're going to find yourself constantly frustrated, angered, and even hardened in your heart toward God. Because this is what happens, right? Something happens, and all of a sudden you're praying for what you want, and you're praying for what you want, and you're praying for what you want. And you're like, God, I believe you're going to do it. 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 And it don't happen. And you're like, God, well, I was in faith, and I had all the faith I knew how to exercise, and I can't give you more faith than I've got, but God, I'll give you all the faith that I've got, and this is what I wanted you to do, and you didn't do what I wanted you to do, God, so faith must not work. No, faith works. You just don't understand the purpose of faith. Faith is not a tool of manipulation to get God to do what you want. Faith is a tool of obedience and submission that connects us to what God desires to do in our lives. And here's what I found out a long time ago. I found out that what God has promised for me is better than what I want for me. Let me say that again. What God has promised to me is better than what I want for me. Right? Have you ever prayed one of those prayers where you ask God to do something and God didn't do it and a year later you're like, thank you Jesus for not answering that prayer. I am so glad I did not get what I wanted. 
Because if I would have got what I wanted, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And where I'm at is really where I want to be, where I need to be, where I desire to be. And I thought what I wanted was going to get me where I wanted to be, but it didn't get me where I wanted to be. It actually stepped me back from where God had called me to be. And we've all been there and done that, right? I'm so thankful for unanswered prayers. I'm so thankful for the times when what I wanted didn't line up with what God had said over my life. When I was 18 years old, Kelly and I, we were, we tell everybody we were young and dumb. We were young and dumb and we were poor when we got married, all three of those things. Young and dumb and poor. And, uh, and I, I remember when we got married, we were in high school and we were high school sweethearts. And we got married right out of high school. And when we were in high school and we were engaged, getting ready to graduate, people would ask me, well, Keith, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for a living? What are you going to do for your life? And so our goal, I grew up, my dad had chicken houses. And so my plan was this. I was going to have 10 chicken houses. And I was going to be a chicken farmer. Praise God. That's what I wanted. Right? And then a little joke went around our whole school. They said, yeah, you're going to have 10 chicken houses and 10 kids, one for each chicken house. Because somebody's got to work them things, right? That's what I wanted. I sincerely wanted it. I wanted it with all of my heart. That was my want. That was my plan. That was my vision. That was my dream. And it was wrong. And I look back now and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I praise God I just get to eat chicken and not ten chicken. But you know what? There are so many times that I've recognized in my life, God, what I wanted was not what I needed. And what you promised was better than what I ever wanted. God's promise over your life is better than anything you could ever want. Because God's got a good plan. When I say a good plan, I mean a good, good plan for your life. And as God sees and as God hears, God speaks. And when God speaks, God expects you and I to respond by faith. Why? Because faith doesn't guarantee I'm going to get what I want. Faith guarantees that what God says, He will bring to pass. What He said over my life. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably got some good promises over your life. I hope you're holding on to them. I hope you're praying them. I hope you're confessing them. I hope you're standing on them. I hope you've got them wrote down somewhere. I hope you've got them highlighted in your Bible. These are the promises, right? If you've been around some Christian circles for a while, you've probably had somebody prophesy over you or speak a word over you or encourage you. And we've got some awesome promises that have been spoken over our lives. 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, when we started Liberty Church, God said, Keith, we're, we're, you're going to build North Alabama's greatest church North Alabama's greatest church that's a big promise every now and then he would remind me he said now Keith remember I didn't say North Alabama's biggest church he said I North Alabama's greatest church because greatness is measured by impact not by size and I just dare to say that praise God, we are in a church today that is impacting the community in a way that very few churches in our community are impacting our community. And we got great churches, praise God. We got great churches. But God said, we're going to build North Alabama's greatest church, the greatest impact. That's a big old promise. That's a big promise. God's promises are huge. And God speaks a promise over your life. And then we've got to respond by faith. Why? Because faith doesn't guarantee I'm going to get what I want. Let's look at this story, right? Do you remember the story? We read it in Genesis 16, the story of Hagar. She was fleeing from Sarah, who was mistreating her, and God told her to return and submit. How many of you know Sarah did not want to return and submit? That's not what she wanted. But that's what God said. 
That's not what she wanted, right? I mean, how many know she left there because Sarah was not being nice to her? So imagine the worst boss you ever had. And God says, you can't quit that job. You got to go back. I want you to submit and serve. 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 Right? She didn't want to do it. How many know she didn't want to go back? She didn't want to go back. Well, now we're going to look at this. I want you to see something. This is huge. Genesis 21. A little more of the story. It says, when Isaac grew up, he was about to be weaned. And Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. So now Sarah has gotten pregnant. She's born Isaac. They're celebrating him. He's about to be weaned. And, uh, man, this is an awesome time. And look at verse 9. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of the slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. And this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, strapped them to Hagar's shoulders. Then she sent her away with her son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, and then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him. I will make him a great nation from his descendants. And then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And, then, and God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. So now let's just kind of grab this story, okay? So in the beginning... Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham. Hagar gets pregnant. Sarah gets jealous. She begins to become cruel and mean to Hagar, and Hagar flees for her life. She's running away from this mean lady. The angel of the Lord shows up in the wilderness and says, I want you to return and submit to Sarah. And then he says, and I will make the boy that is in your womb a great nation. And so what does Hagar do? She obeys by faith. How many know she didn't want to go back to Sarah? Now, a little time has passed by. Sarah's had a baby. She's got pregnant. She's had a little boy, Isaac. You're thinking, wow, maybe now Sarah's going to be happy. She's going to leave Hagar alone. Well, they're getting ready to wean him and celebrate him as a child. And all of a sudden, Sarah sees Ishmael making front of Isaac. And in a jealous rage, she tells Abraham, get that woman and that boy out of here. They're not going to grow up with my son. Abraham did not want to do it because Ishmael was his son. Abraham did not want to do it. But what did God say to Abraham? God said, do what your wife says. Don't y'all hate it, guys, when God tells you that? I always rebuke that immediately. I assume that's the devil. Until after three or four times, and then maybe it's God, right? But God tells Abraham, do what your wife says, because Isaac is the son of promise. But I'm still going to be with your other son, Ishmael, because he came from you, and I bless you. And everything that comes out of you, Abraham, is going to be blessed. So I'm going to bless this boy, and he's going to become a mighty nation. So I want you to see this. So now, 
Hagar, who didn't want to come back, now has to leave, and she don't want to leave. Abraham don't want want her to leave. But God says they need to leave. So remember, faith does not guarantee you're going to get what you want. Faith just guarantees that God will do what he said he would do in your life. What did God say he was going to do for Hagar? What did God say he was going to do for Ishmael? What did God say he was going to do for Abraham? He said he was going to bless that boy, he was going to make him a nation, and he was going to take care of him. So they go out in the wilderness. Abraham by faith obeys God. Hagar by faith obeys God. She wanders out there in the wilderness. They run out of water. They're about to die of thirst. She puts her son in a shade tree. The Bible says she walks away 100 yards, a football field away, because she does not want to see her son die. And the angel of the Lord shows up. And I love what he says. Look at verse 17. And God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Duh. What do you mean, what's wrong? My son's about to die of thirst. I'm about to die. This thing's coming to a bad end. You said you were going to provide for us. You said you were going to bless us. You said he was going to be a great nation. I didn't want to go back, and then I went back, and I didn't want to leave, and now I have to leave. What are you doing, God? What's wrong with me? My world is coming to a desperate end. That's really what was happening. See, we read that story, and we're like, oh, yeah, da-da-da-da, and she was in the wilderness, and they were about dying. It's really bad, horrible, horrible. Let me know if that would have been you. There'd be some emotion in that scripture. There'd be some feeling in that scripture. There'd be some heart pounding, tear jerking, emotion running deep on the inside of you. And that's exactly where Hagar was. But God shows up, amen? And God says, look at this, I heard your cry. Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying. Go to him and comfort him. I will make a great nation from his descendants. And God opened Hagar's eyes. She saw a well full of water, quickly filled it, filled her container, gave the boy a drink, and then they found a place to go to Paran. He ended up getting married, and God raised up a mighty nation. Why? Because faith doesn't guarantee you're going to get what you want. Faith guarantees that what God says he will bring to pass. There's a lot of things that I've wanted I didn't get. But faith is not about manipulating God to get what I want. Faith is about aligning myself with God in a place of faith and obedience so that what God says over my life will come to pass. Now, let me give you our last thought right here. Because this is huge. God-sized promises. God-sized promises. I'm talking about those promises over your life that are, that are big. Those promises over your life that God's spoken to you, that he's spoken to you through other people, but you know it was God and you've heard the Lord speak. Those God-sized promises over your life, I want you to hear this, they require a lifetime. They require a lifetime of faith and obedience. A lifetime of faith and obedience. How many of you understand Ishmael did not grow into a nation overnight? It took a lifetime. It took Hagar going back to Sarah It took Hagar leaving Sarah. It took Hagar wandering in the wilderness. It took Hagar going to Paran. It took Hagar a lifetime of raising her son for him to grow to the point that he could begin to be a man. How many know a man doesn't become a nation overnight? How many know that a man don't become a nation even in his lifetime? All of a sudden there were things happening after Ishmael that were bigger than Ishmael. 
that are still happening today in the Middle East. Right? Why? Because God spoke a word and somebody responded by faith. Faith guarantees that what God says will come to pass. But God-sized promises require a lifetime of faith and obedience. When I, when I began the ministry, I had, a, I had an older gentleman in my life. He said this to me. He said, Keith, let me tell you this. He said, the devil will, will lay in wait for 30 years for one moment in your life. He said, and in one moment, what you've worked the last 30 years of building can be destroyed in a day. One moment. One moment of yielding to temptation. One moment of giving into your flesh. One moment of saying yes to the wrong thing and no to the right thing. One moment. He said, Satan will strategically plan for 30 years, and in one moment, what you spend a lifetime building in ministry, he'll destroy in a day. In one moment. Well, does that mean you ought to be afraid of the devil? No, it doesn't mean you ought to be afraid of the devil. It means you ought to stay in faith and obedience to God. Because if God's promised you something and it hadn't come to pass yet, it just means it hadn't come to pass yet. It doesn't mean it's not coming. It doesn't mean God's not working. It just means that there are still things that need to happen in you in order for God to do through you what he wants to do. And let me give you this final thought, right? Patience. Don't y'all love patience? I love to wait more than anything not I hate waiting right how about you anybody hate waiting I hate waiting right I hate waiting on anything I hate to wait I want it now and I want it right now and I want it now patience patience produces I want you to see this patience purifies the soul it enlarges your insides so here's the reality you got to get bigger on the inside so that you can sustain what God wants to do on the outside. You got to get bigger on the inside so you can sustain what God wants to do on the outside. God's got some big promises He's spoken over your life, but guess what? It's going to take a big heart. It's going to take a heart of character and integrity and truth. It's going to take the character and Christ-likeness of Jesus on the inside of you, growing bigger and bigger and bigger on the inside so you can sustain what God wants to do on the outside. The Bible says a man's gift will make room for him. One of the worst things that happens is when your gift takes you somewhere that your character can't sustain you. And that happens over and over and over again. Let me give you a great example. God help you if you win the lottery. Because most people that win the lottery within three to five years are more financially worse off than they were before they won the lottery. Why? Let me tell you why. It's really simple. Nothing wrong with money. Money's a good thing. If you win the lottery, give it to me. I'll help you. Nothing wrong with money. Let me tell you the problem is. The problem is, if I'm living a broke, busted, and disgusted life because I can't manage my $50, then somebody gives me $500,000. I don't have the financial integrity to manage $50. I sure enough don't have the financial integrity to manage $500,000. And what was intended to bless me actually curses me. And three to five years later, statistically, you're going to be worse off than you were before. But yet we have this idea, if I just had more money, if I just had more money, right? I just laugh on the inside when I hear people say, oh, I wish I could win the lottery. I think, you don't have enough character to manage the $250 you make a week. How are you going to have enough character and integrity to manage a million dollars? You get in enough trouble with $250, if you had a million dollars, you'll probably be dead for the weeks up. And that's true. That's true. Why? Because patience purifies the soul. 
Patience is not twiddling your thumbs. Patience is purposely doing the last thing God told you to do with all your heart. Patience is purposely doing the last thing God told you to do with all of your heart. And wherever you are, and this is the last thing God told you to do, then just keep doing it, 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 keep doing it with all your heart. Brother Forrest came up to me after church first service this morning. He said, he said, yeah, every now and then I'll have somebody ask me, well, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? He said, my answer is simple. I'd plant a tree. And he says, they're always like, plant a tree? What do you mean plant? Why would you plant a tree? He said, because that's what I do. That's what I do. He's a tree farmer, if you didn't know that. He's a tree farmer. He's a taxidermist. He's a rocket scientist. He's a doctor of ICM Bible College. He's got a many, many hats. But he said, I'd plant a tree. Why? Because that's what God's told him to do right now. See, if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow and you had to change what you're doing today, then you're not living your life in faith and obedience to him. If I knew Jesus is coming tomorrow, I'm going to go home and take a nap today just like I always do because that's what I always do. And I'm doing what God's called me to do right now to the best of my ability. I'm living the life that God has called me to live. I don't have to change anything for him to come tomorrow. Why? Because I'm living the life he's called me to live today. Now, if he tells me to do something different tomorrow, I'm going to do something different tomorrow. But I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to twiddle my thumbs. I'm going to purposely pursue the last thing God told me to do with all my heart until he tells me to do something different. And if I do that, then guess what's going to happen? Patience is going to purify my soul. Let me give you a closing scripture. Y'all needed about 15 more minutes in this service. I'm sorry, guys. Psalms 105 says, And God called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone else to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters, placed his neck in an iron collar. Verse 19, Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. The King James Version says, Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The word tested there means to refine like fire. A refiner's fire. What does patience do? Patience refines your heart. It enlarges you on the inside. When you wait upon the Lord, when you be faithful to what God has called you to do, just because it happened, hasn't happened, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means it's not yet time to happen. And here's the challenge, and we're going to close with this. What happens many times is God tells us to do something little, that we think is irrelevant to the big picture. And we resist the little things which actually position us for the big things. Stuff like loving your wife, respecting your husband, being kind to strangers, taking care of what God's already given you. Little things. Mow your yard. Make your bed in the morning. Joyce Myers will tell you, put your golf, your shopping cart up at Walmart, right? Little things. The Holy Spirit will just tell you. And you're like, God, this don't, I'm going over here, God, and you're telling me to do this little stuff. This little thing doesn't have anything to do with that big thing. I don't want to do this little thing. I want to do that big thing. And God says you can't get to the big thing until you do the little thing because it's the little things that create character on the inside of you that will sustain you to hold the thing I'm going to do through you so you can step into what I've got for your life. That's the process in which God works. Faith is a guarantee that God will do what he said he would do. Faith connects us to that promise and makes it real in our lives. Amen. Let's bow our heads today.
Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you for your grace over us today. I thank you for the mercy of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for fresh vision today in our hearts, for a renewed commitment to the little things, to the daily things. God, help us in patience to possess our souls, as the Word of God says. Refine our hearts, God. Make us bigger on the inside today, God. And Lord, help us to align ourselves by faith, not to try to manipulate you, but God, to align ourselves by faith so we can receive from you all that you want to give us. With every head bowed, every, every eye closed for just one second, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't know the Lord, I've never been saved, I've never trusted my life to Christ, but today I want to put my faith in Jesus. It's not about me getting what I want, it's about God's promise. He said that whosoever would, whosoever will, could believe in him and not perish and have everlasting life. I want to be that whosoever today. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart and my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, I want to ask you to do something really bold today. Remember, faith without works is dead. I want to ask you to do something really bold today. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to be looking at you. But I want you to do something. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and say, today, Pastor Keith, I want to pray and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to commit my life to follow Him. I want you to stand to your feet right where you're at. Just a simple act of faith. Nobody's looking at you other than God. This is your response. How you respond to Him determines to what degree He's able to work in your life. Man, don't be content with letting God work on the inside. Let's invite God to the inside. On the outside, I mean, let's invite God to the inside. If you're here today and you want to pray to accept Christ, I want you just to stand. We're getting ready to close this service. Just about 30 seconds and we're going to pray. This is your moment. This is your day. Just a simple but a bold act of faith that says today I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for every person here today. I pray, God, today that you'd stir us up, that you would continually draw us unto yourself. And, Lord, I know that you will because that is your heart and your will for our lives. So, Lord, glorify your name today in us and give us faith and boldness to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. We love you. Have a great day in the Lord. Remember, invite and pray to our Easter experience. Let's get some folks to come and experience who he is. Amen. God bless you.